But still, 36 years old, I, I wanted to continue to play, but I couldn't. So I remember the last game against Denmark. Uh, and I was, we won 3 to 1 or something like that. Pretty good game. Uh, and we were just uh, heading back home to Sweden, and I was just in tears. I had friends, young, old players, coaches saying, Well, you know what? You've done so many things for the game. Well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I, was, I was actually crying. Uh, but one thing I've learned is if you give yourself a little bit of time, regardless what kind of decision you have to make, if I allow myself to feel a little bit sorry for myself and, and tell myself, well, I feel pity for myself, that's okay with me for a while. And then little by little, it, it, that kind of feeling creates something, good thoughts. Now, could you do something about it? We're going to go out on the field. We're going to score as many goals as we can. We're going to have fun. Oh, Becky, well placed. Come on, Jake. Come on, Jake. I wish I could play one more down. Keep this jersey on one more play. I give it my all. It has been my pleasure and my honor to represent you all. First of all, I know you didn't want to meet with Bush or Obama, so I feel very special. <laughs> you should. You should. <laughs> and why, listeners may be asking, did Pia Sundhaga even get the chance to say no to meeting two sitting American presidents? Well, she won Olympic gold as coach of the U.S. women's national soccer team in 2008 and 2012. She also guided the Americans to a second-place finish at the 2011 World Cup. Sunhaga has had stints coaching the Chinese national team, the Swedish national team, who most recently won a silver medal at the 2016 Rio Olympics. Yeah, honestly, I don't want to talk about it or relive it, so let's... Goodbye, Rio for Team USA. The women's soccer squad suffering their earliest Olympic exit ever, coming at the hands of Sweden. Following the heartbreaking loss, goalkeeper Hope Solo calling the Swedes a bunch of cowards. Didn't mean to come across that the, the players were cowards or the coach was a coward. I meant the style of play was not, it wasn't very Olympic spirited. Oi. Sundhaga's response to our outspoken American goalkeeper. I don't give a crap. I'm going to Rio. She's going home. Anyway, Sundhaga has coached at the club level all around the world, and she is currently working with Sweden's best and brightest in the youth national team setup. Of course, before her time sorting out X's and O's and nurturing young stars like Alex Morgan, Sundhaga was a player herself, one of the best ever. She finished sixth in the voting for FIFA's World Player of the Century, placing her in a pantheon of trailblazers like the U.S.'s Mia Hamm and China's Sun Wen. When Sunhaga first fell in love with the sport, it was at a time when women playing soccer was essentially unheard of. So when she was allowed to play for a local team as a child, her coach said she had to pretend to be a boy and call herself by the Swedish boy's name, Pella. That seven-year-old would go on to be a pioneer and a record breaker as Pia, of course. Swedish Cups, World Cups, all the Cups, League titles, European Championships, Olympics. She was always on the big stage. Sunhaga racked up top score and MVP accolades pretty much wherever she went. She also moved abroad to play in Italy before that was even a thing for female players to be doing. I mean, in 1988, she appeared on a Swedish postage stamp. 
Because is there any more obvious sign that you've made it than that? There's this idea or this little phrase that you'll hear international players say sometimes. They want to leave the shirt in a better place than when they found it. It's hard to imagine anybody who has achieved that in a more hands-down, emphatic way than Pia Sundhaga. Today, we hear her story of athlete and after-athlete life. Episode 2, Second Wind. First question for you. So nowadays, although it is still a relatively new phenomenon and restricted to a few corners of the earth, it is possible for female soccer players to dedicate their lives to playing the sport professionally. This was, of course, not the case when you were playing in the 70s to the 90s. Considering this, can you talk about the role soccer played in your life growing up? Football is something that I uh, was brought up. I think um, uh, my family raised me. I have five siblings, uh, mom and dad, but also all these locker rooms and um, the football because that's the way I... I enjoyed myself, you know, uh, trying to challenge myself. And uh, I had to say, I have to say, football uh, is, was, and is my very best friend. I gained um, a lot of confidence, uh, self-esteem, just uh, felt uh, secure around the ball. I remember when I was 10, uh, we moved from one place to another, not far, uh, from a small, small village to a pretty small village, Ulisaham, and the very first day I didn't get any, you know, friends. I was very shy. My little brother, my little sister, they got friends immediately, but I had my ball. That was uh, the way I made friends, and I played with boys uh, every day uh, in the schoolyard. So even though I, I was professional, uh, I played professional football, so to speak, in, in Italy, I didn't make any money. Yeah. I didn't have to go to job, to a job at, um, for one year, 85. Uh, but besides that, I, I, you know, it was, it's always been my hobby. And um, I think I've been raised with my, my family and uh, the football. Playing professionally in Europe, you were probably one of the first to do that. Can you talk about what that was like in Italy? You know, I felt like a professional player, but to be honest, uh, I don't think that uh, Lazio at the time, 85, was professional at all because we practiced three times a week and we had a game. So what I had to do, because since I was very little, I've been, I've been kicking that ball all the time. And, um, you know, when I... I played my first uh, international game in the national team, got my first cap when I was 15. So uh, what I did was practice a lot. So when I came to, to Rome uh, three times a week, I was thinking, well, what's going on? So I practiced myself. Uh, I did all these kinds of things uh, with the ball in order to keep up with the quality, and I wanted to improve my game. Uh, so that I, I'm happy the fact that I come from a place where I knew I can do better. And during that journey, I enjoy every single day. So it's, it's that uh, I hear people say, I'm never satisfied. I am many times, especially when I spend time with the ball. And I'm just longing for the next day, longing for the next practice, longing for the next match. 
And at that specific point, I'm unsatisfied. I'm content. You're a Swede, so I know that modesty is part of who you are, but I'm just going to, you're, you're a legend. Uh, not just when it comes to women's soccer in Sweden, but women's soccer everywhere. When you stepped away from the game as a player, did you have a sense of the footprint you had left? When I look back, uh, you know, it was like uh, when I was playing, I became a coach at the same time. I had a very good coach in, in Yitex, um, 20, 21 at the time, and I had so many questions. I was so interested in how two forwards could work together. And I had opinions about how uh, the angle of the, that ball or uh, your position or your role or whatever. And he, I was just, sometimes I think I was too much, especially for my teammates. Uh, but he, he took the time. And that is very important. He took the time and he could, he could tell that I was really interested in this. So he took me to uh, coaching courses. So when I was 20, after uh, my journey to Italy, I came back to Sweden. In two years, I, be yeah, I became a teacher, I would call it sports teacher. And at the same time, I got the highest education in, in football as well. So uh, when I look at my playing career, I had so much fun. And, and if I could go back, I'd, I'll do that. No, way too old. But uh, to be a football player is the best. To be a football coach is the second best. I follow this uh, journey. Yeah, I know that I can learn a little bit more. Uh, and the thing is, as a football player, you have a great impact in, in, um, in the game. And as a coach, you also has a great impact in the game. And I really love that. I was fascinated about, wow, you can do this, you can do that, and coaching style and so on. Not only uh, if, on, the, on the field, on the pitch, that's one thing, but also how you can have a great impact in how people behave in the environment and the atmosphere. And you, you play a pretty big role in order to make that happen. What's something you know now from all the intel you've gathered as a player, coach, just life experience in general, that you wish you could go back in time to tell yourself in your prime to make you a better player? There's, there's one thing with the game. Uh, it was hard for me to imagine how much it has developed. And if you look at uh, Japan... I've been coaching against Japan once coached the U.S. team, and I'm so fascinated how great they are to, to turn and face every single moment. That, those small details, I wished I'd known that when I was 20 because I thought I was fairly technical. But compared to these football players in, in Japan or, you know, Barcelona in Spain, mm, the level is... You could do so much better. And um, as a coach, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Because I've, the, the thing with me is, you know, I said yes to many things as a coach. And then uh, an hour later, why do I say yes? What does this mean? But I'm, I'm going with my heart. So that's, that's exactly what happened with, um, with the U.S. team uh, I got the job. And, oh, yes, I was screaming right out. And, um, and then in the afternoon, I was thinking, okay, so I'm the one who should take this team to Olympic gold medal. How would that work? 
But that's something I've had from, I think, from my family. Just try. And if it doesn't work, it's not the end of the world. You can take the same flight from Los Angeles to Frankfurt to, to Stockholm. If it doesn't work, uh, try to do something else or try to do a little bit better. Now, getting to that time that you did retire, I mean, you spoke about how football was your best friend. It gave you a lot of confidence. Um, playing football is the is the best thing. Coaching is the second best thing. Given all of that, did you find that it was hard to retire or did you feel ready? It was awful. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. crap. <laughs> and the reason for that is I was 36 at the time and I played in the Olympics, Atlanta. We lost against the U.S. and China. Anyways, so I didn't decide to quit, to retire. I had to finish because of injury. Uh, and still people, they looked at me, you're 36, you know you're old. You should, you, you should have retired 10 years ago. Because that's how it was in the very beginning, the women's game. But still 36 years old, I, I wanted to continue to play, but I couldn't. So I remember the last game against Denmark. Uh, and I was, we won 3 to 1 or something like that. Pretty good game. Uh, and we were just uh, heading back home to Sweden, and I was just in tears. I had friends, young, old players, coaches saying, Well, you know what? You've done so many things for the game. Well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I, was, I was actually crying. Uh, but one thing I've learned is if you give yourself a little bit of time, regardless what kind of decision you have to make, if I allow myself to feel a little bit sorry for myself and, and tell myself, well, I feel pity for myself, that's okay with me for a while. And then little by little, it, it, that kind of feeling creates something, good thoughts, now, could you do something about it? And I have friends in order to... And, and you need time, I need friends in order to do that. Uh, and little by little, I was... It took me a year, I think. Uh, we had the European Championship in 97, the year after. And uh, I did all these kinds of analyze and, and you know. And by then I thought, okay, uh, it's okay to, to retire from football. It took me a year. Uh, and then again, time, friends. Uh, made me survive this this awful year, 96, 97. Did you find that the transition to coaching was easier than you thought, or were there times that you kind of wanted to sub yourself in at halftime and show the players how you wanted it done? Uh, I was so into this coaching, and I just loved it. Mm. Uh, no, I never felt that I, I you know, I was talking to myself, I could have done that so much better. <laughs> but I've never felt, you know, I want to go in there and change the game. That would never happen. But what's interesting with my coaching career, I think many people have experienced this. In the very beginning, I was a lot of confidence. I knew exactly how it should be. I had so many good answers. And if you don't agree with me, I think you, you don't know football well enough. I know my stuff. But little by little, the more I got to know, the more the better coach I became. Two things happened. I understood you can play football in many ways. Well, that's of course, but you can coach in many ways. It does, and and sometimes it's depending on what time, what kind of team you have in front of you, and it's so important to be humble. 
because uh, sometimes you know uh, coaching Sweden I, I was assistant coaching China and my experience is it's um, a small difference between to be very successful to just to, to big failure and I admitted that to myself fairly early so uh, and and the other thing I, I found out was I shouldn't be on my own I really need support from coaches uh, for instance in, in in the US team I had uh, two very good uh, assistant coaches and goalkeeper coach uh, every one I worked with and I'm so happy to see Jill being head coach now uh, because I worked with her I'm a little bit proud of that you know <laughs> I've been around her so I know a little bit of how football thoughts so that is something I, I uh, fairly early uh, analyzed I shouldn't be on my own I'm useless but together with uh, good people I could be my very best you harbor this magnetism that has literally drawn players to move hundreds of miles to play on your teams American stars Christine Lilly and Kate Margraf famously said on why they wanted to move to Orebru that they wanted to play for Pia again. What do you think it is about your coaching style that gets players to buy in like that? I I would love to think and say that is I'm optimistic. I, I, I really uh Kristen Lilly said something to me. I have on a on a when I have presentations, that's my first slide. It says it's a your passion for soccer is contagious, Kristen Lilly. And I think that's something when, when you know, uh, probably I've known that for a while, uh, but she said it out loud. And I'm thinking uh, of that because that's one of my strengths. Uh, the, 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 American, uh, the American players, they, they could tell, well, she, she's so into that football. And that is the only thing right now that matters. And um, small details and... And, and the way I coach uh, people, well, coach players, is I do believe that they try. I do believe that they will be successful. In five years with the Americans, I, I think I said, this is not good enough. I think I said it three or four times. And, and instead of, oh, this is, this is pretty good. I think you can do it a little bit differently. Um, and that kind of, uh, to recognize them, and to have an idea uh, that I think they can do a little bit better or differently or whatever it is. Uh, and I do it over and over again. And um, I, I'm, I'm a happy person. Uh, <laughs> and that should, sometimes that is contagious as well. So, you know, when, when I see something that works well, I try to emphasize that instead of saying this is not good enough. Uh, so sometimes when it isn't good enough, I just you know, forget about that. I just, I just don't look at it. I just move on. And sometimes I have to put down my foot and say, well, this is not good. But very often I try to, mm, could you imagine that cross, for instance, you know, could you imagine if you had the ability to control a little bit more than I went into that football situation? If pay and status were not considerations, what age players would you want to coach in anywhere in the world, boys, girls? You know, um, 
it's 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 funny because I've been on the highest level uh, since I you know, started coaching pretty much uh, with national teams. Now I'm coaching uh, girls uh, U16, and I'm getting younger and younger, and they uh, they make me laugh, and they, uh, sometimes they get you know surprise me and uh, all kind of stuff. Know what I was like as a sixteen-year-old girl, and I would feel bad for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you can imagine, but if if they were lying out there, I think you know because I'm very impressed of Asian football. I had a player uh, that was when I worked with uh, Marika Domanskalifos in China mm-hmm. as assistant coach. So I asked the player, "So tell me, uh, are you left-footed, right-footed?" And she did not understand the question. <laughs> What do you mean? And and then um, yeah, if if there's a free kick, would you take your right or left foot? Depends. You know, I have never met any American or or uh, Swedish player saying that. And you can imagine what that makes with with the game, when it doesn't matter if you use. I think you have four feet pretty much inside, outside, left and right foot. Uh, and I just love that. What's been the biggest challenge for you as a coach? Um, the question, how good are you, uh, really? That kind of question, because uh, I've been, uh, yeah, I've been in, in finals, Olympics and World Cups. Uh, and still there are people out there wondering, shouldn't you coach uh, men? Uh, you know, that will be the, the next step for you, then, you know. And it's a little. I think it's. It feels like a little bit uh, insulting, actually, not for my personally, but for the women's football, so to speak. I think that is a little tricky one, because I have to admit, I've never ever got an offer, so I can't say yes or no uh, to begin with. And there's a, uh, another thing. Um, uh, when it's come when it comes to coaching, the the most challenging thing for me is to reach the group. So whoever is standing in front of me, to make sure they they do understand my positive intentions. Uh, it went well in the U.S., especially when it's a very different group in front of me. And I wanted to make a change, and they bought into that. Uh, and uh, I think that the tricky part of that is I can't make too big of a change because they will lose the confidence. Uh, you know, they've been very successful. But... It, it can't be too little either because they might as well get a, an American coach. So to be somewhere in between to make the difference for them. And that is, uh, that's tricky because you have not everybody buy into everything you do. So you, you have to uh, convince them that if we agree to this, everybody is a winner. Sometimes a little bit mm, hard. Uh, but you have to believe in what you're doing and make sure you have the right direction. Do you think that you will know when it'll be time to walk away from coaching? Uh, yeah. You do? Yeah, because if I don't have that fire inside, you know, that takes me to yeah, uh, different kinds of directions or uh, makes me go up in the morning, well, what's the, what's the next day? Uh, one thing I've learned, um, you know, if I do something and I forget about the time, I'm uh, in the right place. That happens with football. 
that happens when I play the guitar, for instance. So when I don't keep track of time, if I just take off my watch and uh, you know, and I feel good about that, maybe I'm I'm done. So, but I make sure that I have something else, and music would probably be something that, because I I, I forget. I can't keep track of time, and that's a good thing. Actually, a perfect segue, so you might have already answered this. If you could project yourself 10 years into the future, what are you doing? What's the scene? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm reading a book. Uh, I'm also playing the guitar, try to play the piano as well, and I record it in, a, in my computer, garage band, and I'm I'm creating some sort of pop star, you know. And I'm. Are you in your summer house? Or yeah, you... I'm in a su- I'm summer house, and I'm just play and and uh, enjoy life. And finally, can you name three accomplishments that you're most proud of, and why? As a player, it should, should be I played for so many years, you know. I made those priorities since I was 13, 14, 15 years old, and I, uh, and I retired when I was 36. In that long journey uh, over time, there is uh, one game. It's a, a European championship when uh, we win 1-0, and I score... Uh, one zero, a diving header. It's just phenomenal. That is something that the first European Championship, gold medal, and, and it's like I've, I've been playing the national team for 10 years. As a coach... I've heard you talk about the Brazil game, yeah, so Bra- I don't know the, if you're going to say that. Yeah, the Brazil game. <laughs> the Brazil game. This is one of the best games in women's soccer history. Even if you're not a soccer or sports fan in general, it's got a little bit of everything you could want. Controversy, late drama, big names, the whole thing. It was just a roller coaster of emotions. It's like a movie. It's like an American movie, actually. And I would look at the movie and say, ah, this is typical America, happy ending. But I've been there. It's Brazil versus the U.S. 2011 Women's World Cup quarterfinal. Two powerhouse teams, winner go home situation. U.S. goes up 1-0 early in just the second minute of the game thanks to a Brazil own goal. Fast forward a lot, enter Marta, five-time FIFA World Player of the Year. We're well into the second half, a little over 20 minutes left in regular time. She does this ridiculous flick touch to get past her defender in the 18, dragged down by none other than Rachel the Bulldozer Bueller, who lives up to her nickname in all the wrong ways, penalty kick and a red card for the Bulldozer. Brazil's Christian steps up to take the kick, Hope Solo, best goalkeeper in the world, who is also just fucking bananas, as you can hear in the beginning of the episode, saves it. But oh no, she jumped off her line so the PK is retaken. Hope Solo is, to put it mildly, heated. This time, Marta steps up, buries it, duh, 1-1, not to mention the US are down to 10 women for the rest of the game. It's not good. Headed into overtime, Marta, continuing to play the game of her life, beat Solo fair and square with this contorted half-bicycle kick thing. It's unreal. Brazil take the lead 2-1, and then in the final, final seconds of the game, literally extra time of overtime, this moment happened. I've been there with Christy Rampone, started with she's gained the ball on the right side. 
So Chris Rampone plays it to Carly Lloyd in the middle. Forward now. No sense defending anymore. Lloyd's got to get this pass off. And Carly, she uh, plays it out to Megan Rapine on the left side. To Rapino, and everybody's got a bomb forward now. The funny part of this is I'm looking for Abby. Where is Abby? Where is she? Where is she? And I was thinking, Megan Rapino, could you please for once put it on the far post? Rapino gets a crossing. And Abby Warmback is doing what she is best at. Crossing is towards Warmback. Two two. Two two goes into a PK shootout and the US wins it. That game is something special because that would have been the first time ever the US team had, you know, kicked out the tournament without a medal. Mm-hmm. Now the funny part is I you know, Sweden yeah. kicked them out. <laughs> Sorry, Jay Lellis, yeah, but that's like that's like <laughs> but but that is the being around uh, great players and talk about Hope Solo she's the best goalkeeper I've ever coached uh, so there we have two the third one uh, I will probably say what I, what I started with I, I've had the energy the it's been so joyful uh, I've met so many situations people around that uh, football that I have been able to continue, continue, and over time, I made all of these priorities. I think I've—that's uh, uh, one I, one thing I'm probably most proud of. Thank you to Pia Sundhaga for coming on to the podcast, and thank you for listening. Follow us on Instagram at Run Along Podcasts, and be sure to check out the website RunAlongPodcast.com. And click that button in the top right-hand corner of the website that says submit your story. There's no one narrative or type of experience that I'm trying to share here when it comes to this topic. I'm interested in all of it. All right, that's it. See you next time.